0: Amen. Well, good morning. So good to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to being together for a couple of weeks uh, since the last time we were together. Of course, last Sunday we had our city group Sunday, uh, which is the Sunday where our family meets in homes all over central Arkansas to not just come to a place we call church, but to be the church. All over the city. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I uh, hope that you enjoyed your time in your city group family. Uh, but I'm glad to be back, all of us together, to worship again today and be back in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Today, we're going to talk about this incredible question that Jesus is going to ask his disciples, and he's going to ask you as his disciples as well. And that question is, who do you say that I am? And as I was thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, I couldn't help but think about all the people around the world, and especially in our culture, in our country, that have a lot of opinions about who Jesus is, right? I mean, everybody's got an opinion one way or another about who Jesus is, who they think he is, what they say of him. I just started thinking about, you know, even in culture, uh, I started thinking back through time. I want to show you a few of these things. First, I've got Elvis, right, Elvis, the king, right, the king of rock and roll. He said, I'm not the king, and we actually have an Elvis with us today. Uh, I'm not the king. Jesus is the king, right? Way to go, Elvis. Good awareness there, bud. Uh, But then a little bit later, a few years later, we get John Lennon of the Beatles, and he says, we're more popular than Jesus. And he actually went on to say, I'm not sure what's going to die off first rock and roll or Christianity I can I can answer that for him right (laughs) a lot of people have opinions about who Jesus or or who Jesus is or 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 God or or this faith that we have Frederick Frederick Nietzsche said is man merely a mistake of God's or God merely a mistake of man's right Bring it up to our our time period for those ER fans. Some of you kids don't even know what ER is. It was a major television show back when we first got married, and, and all the ladies swooned over this gentleman, George Clooney. Sorry to say it, ladies. He says, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in God. Or a very funny comedian, but somebody who sort of mocks Christianity, and he says, Ricky Gervais, he says, There have been nearly 3,000 gods so far, but only yours actually exists. The others are silly, made up nonsense, but not yours. Yours is real. Can't you just hear him saying it, making fun of us? Different religions say different things about our faith. Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet, a good man, but he wasn't God. Neither was he the Son of God, and neither was he crucified or, or resurrected. Hindus say Jesus not only was a good man, he was holy, he was a wise teacher, and yes, he was a God. And they add Jesus to the thousands of gods that they worship. Or Buddhists who say uh, Jesus was an enlightened, wise, holy man, but not almighty God. Somebody that I think has been intriguing in the last few years to me, that I've been watching and and listening to some, just because he's an interesting person, he He wrestles with his faith, and this is a a psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson. And if you've listened to his interviews, you've seen that he has, uh, he's kind of been wrestling with with what he believes to be true of Jesus. Jordan Peterson says, I'm not an atheist anymore. (laughs) His wife is a believer, and slowly he's been watching how she loves people, how she cares for people, and he's been wrestling with this Reality of who is Jesus and what is this faith that I have to contend with? Or maybe uh, if you've seen this movie out, Lori and the kids, we went to go see this movie, Jesus Revolution, the other day, and it was awesome. I want to highly encourage you to go see it. Support it while it's at theaters and so we can support it with our our funds. A beautiful movie about a movement of, of God. And one of the actors, Kelsey Grammer, you may remember him from Cheers or some other television shows. He actually recently said, Jesus made a difference in my life, and I won't apologize about that. <laughs> different people say different things, right? A hundred years ago, there was a theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis, and I love his writing. He's a brilliant man, and, and he made a comment in, in some of his writing about Jesus that he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Like, we have to make a decision. Either he's lying about this or he's a crazy person or he is who he said he was. And he truly is, Lord, in his writing in Mere Christianity, this wonderful book. I want to read this to you. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon and you can fall or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with some patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. See, this question we're going to look at today is not just sort of a a little question. It's actually the most important question you'll ever hear, and the most important question you'll ever answer. You ready? Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? It's not like this uh, convenient thing that we, we get to say, well, my truth is dot, dot, dot. No. Right? There's not a different truth. There is the truth. In fact, we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's who Jesus is. But who do you say he is. If you have your Bible this morning, would you open to Mark 8. We're going to read through uh, just a few verses 27 to 33. It says this in our reading this morning, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that I am?" And they told him, "John the Baptist, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is life to us, God. And thank you for this story that we get to read in this gospel of Mark that reminds us that everybody everywhere will have some sort of opinion maybe about who Jesus is, but the one that matters in our lives is what we say of Jesus. How we answer that question. We can answer it sort of, sort of right and not understand it, and that's what we see here today. And so God, I pray that even if we answer correctly, that you would help us to have a full understanding of the gospel and how it changes us and your plan and not ours. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you and where we stand up and, God forbid, rebuke you and say, my way is better. Forgive us, Lord. May we truthfully look into your word now and may you change us as a result. Spirit of the living God, lead us to all truth to understand this. And I pray that you would increase and I would decrease in your grace, I pray, O oh God, in your precious name, amen. Amen. Kind of a short text this morning, really. Two major questions that we have, right? The first one is Jesus on his way to Caesarea Philippi, and he says to his disciples, who do they say I am? And the text opens up sort of with uh, location. And so as always, I kind of just think it's good for us to get a context of what we're looking at. I think we have a map, just a very simple map I want to show you. I hope we do. If we don't, I can tell you about it. But basically, if you can see it, down at the Sea of Galilee on the the northern shore, up a little ways, is Bethsaida. As we finished our story in in, uh, our City Group Sunday last week, you might remember Jesus sort of halfway healed a man of blindness, remember? And the man said, I I see people walking around, it looks like they're trees. And then Jesus touched his eyes again and he he healed him completely and he could see completely, of course, We know that what Jesus was doing was giving an example to the disciples, showing them, I'm helping you understand. I'm helping you see slowly this truth of who I am. And so they leave Bethsaida, and they go this northern route up to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is at the northern border of Israel by a place called Dan. It doesn't show it there, but Israel is often mentioned in their borders as Dan as sort of the top spot of Israel. This area of Caesarea Philippi is named after Herod's brother Philip. It's a godless area, pagan, Gentile area, and this is where they are headed. It's about 25 to 30 miles from Bethsaida. So it's a long walk. And on the way, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, who do they say I am? Who's he talking about? Well, all the people he's been feeding, the 4,000 that's really more like 15 or 20 with men, women, and children. You're talking about just culture in general? Who, who do they say I am out there, right? And so they give him the options. Well, there's a lot of different things out there, Lord. You might remember we studied in Mark 6 that Herod, Philip's uh, named after here, Philip's brother, uh, Herod's brother, Philip, Caesarea Philippi, is named after. His brother Herod, in chapter 6, said he believed that Jesus must be John the Baptist resurrected, Remember, he had cut off his head and he was afraid of him. And he thought the only reason he could have powers and and do miracles is because he's been resurrected. So there was a lot of people that kind of went down that line of thinking that maybe he was John the Baptist resurrected. They said still others think maybe Elijah. The, The Gospel of Matthew gives another option of Jeremiah. There were different Jewish traditions that thought some of the Old Testament prophets might come back. And they even played some of their household games or about Joel or Jeremiah coming back. And so maybe there was some talk out there. Maybe he was one of the Old Testament prophets who'd come back. A lot of different opinions, just as in our day, a lot of different opinions of who people say Jesus is. But then he gets personal, right? Then Jesus gets personal and he says to his disciples, okay, (laughs) I get it. Who do you say I am? See, the whole Gospel of Mark we've been studying for quite a while now. The whole Gospel of Mark is is to help us understand this question. Who is Jesus? And, And so whether it be from the very first verse and the very first few words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or through all the miracles that he's done, all the amazing things that he's done, Mark is trying to help us see who Jesus is. And here, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Of course, the spokesperson jumps up quickly, right, Peter? He's used to speaking for the group. You're the Christ. Right answer. Where'd it go, Peter? Right? This is, this is an awesome moment. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus looks at him and says, well, Peter, you didn't get this information uh, from, from flesh and blood, he calls him Simon Barjona, right? You're, you didn't get this from your father. You, didn't, you weren't taught this by some other man. This is a revelation of God alone. And any time we come to the understanding of truly who Jesus is, it's a revelation of God to us. He opens our eyes. He draws us, John 6, to himself and shows us who he is. And Jesus says, way to go. You get it. Don't tell anybody. Why would he do that? Didn't Jesus send out the disciples and say, Preach this message and heal? And he's, hasn't he been healing people? And, and all these things are happening. And he's been talking about him as Messiah and, and answering questions as Messiah. And yet he says, Don't tell people. Well, what's interesting is I think the text is going to answer the question for us about why he says, don't, don't tell anyone. Look with me in the text in verse 31. In the second half of our text, Mark says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Why did Jesus tell them not to go tell anybody? Why did Jesus over and over tell people that he had just healed, don't tell anybody? don't go to the city, don't let the word out. Because he didn't want this, this prevailing opinion to be, he's just a healer. He's just a miracle worker. Come see the circus act. Right? He didn't want people also just thinking, oh, he's Messiah. And guess what the prevailing thought of who Messiah would be and what Messiah would do? Remember that, what that is? That he would be king and that he would rule over Rome and they could take back this occupation that the Romans have had over Israel. Jesus says, yes, king, but not your kind of king. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I've come. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Why would he tell them that? And then go into this explanation of the gospel because this is, right now, guys, you don't have the full story of Messiah. Right now, you only have your opinion of what Messiah is. But I want to show you, I want to spell out for you what must happen. Why did Jesus come? What is his mission? He uses a word that's very intentional and yet beautiful, historical, prophetic. He says the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must be rejected. The Son of Man must be killed. The Son of Man must be resurrected. Why? It's because this is God's plan. This is what God has been doing from before the beginning of time, right? And Jesus is fulfilling the will of the Father. This is happening because this is God's plan. This is what's happening. This this has to happen. It must happen. Look at the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, usually a verse we talk about at Easter. I'm sure we'll bring it back out then as well. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in what? Accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in what? According to the Scriptures. What's Paul saying? Jesus followed God's will this played out exactly the way God said it was going to according to his word the Jews would have been familiar with this text in Isaiah Isaiah 53 verse 3 when he said of the Messiah he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as and as one from whom men hide their faces he he was so hideous with a crown of thorns and his face looked like an animal scripture says men couldn't even look at him It was too hard to look at his broken face, his disfigured body. He was despised and rejected. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus said he must suffer. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by the Romans By God, because this was God's plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. This plan is playing out according to God's will. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Friends, it's all just playing out the way God had intended it to play out. This must happen. I like the way Mark says in verse 32, and he said it plainly. (laughs) Jesus said it plainly so that they could understand what was happening. I'm not sure that they did. They might have got some grasp of what he was saying, but he says he said it plainly. Jesus is, and also the text here says Jesus begins to teach them of his death. Well, this this is basically marking what's happening in Jesus' teaching with the disciples. From this point on, Jesus now began to focus on his death, his resurrection, on the purpose of why Messiah came. Great Peter, you got the, the who right, but you haven't gotten the why. You don't understand the why. Jesus is going to predict his death not only here in chapter 8, but also in chapter 9, again in chapter 10. His teaching is just going to continue to, to speak of his sacrifice and purpose for coming. Why did Messiah come? Mark ten forty five says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter got the who, but not the why. Look with me in our text, Mark 8, 32. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Yes, you heard that correctly. <laughs> Excuse me. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Peter takes the creator aside and begins to rebuke him. The one of whom Peter looked out on the sea and said, Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, let me walk out there to you. And actually steps out of the boat and walks for a moment. And yet somehow now has lost his ever loving mind and thinks he can take Jesus by the arm aside and rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See what a rebuke is, is something that a superior does to somebody underneath them. You get a job at McDonald's and you mess up the fries, Somebody's going to come to you and say, you did that wrong. You, You didn't do this correctly. Let me help you understand. Right? This is what the boss does. And yet, for some crazy reason, Peter, in this moment, thinks he's the boss of Jesus. Peter thinks he can rebuke the Savior of the world. Just a moment later, he said, you are the Christ. And a second later, he thinks, and I can rebuke the Christ. This is a, a hero moment turned to a zero moment. In many ways, this is a, a, the climax in, in ways of, of Mark, in the sense that it comes to the point where the disciples get it. We finally understand this is who Jesus is, and then Peter does this and sort of ruins the moment. In fact, Jesus, in this moment, I like the fact that it says in verse 33. Jesus kind of notices that the disciples are seeing what's going down, right? But turning and seeing his disciples. I can't, I can't let them think that what he just is doing is okay, right? So he turns the table, so to speak. And instead of Peter rebuking Jesus, Jesus is going to give Peter something he will remember, and we will all remember that you don't rebuke Jesus. That it's not your plan that's important, it's God's plan. Because Peter thought, you know, I'm okay with Jesus being Messiah as long as this is safe, as long as we're comfortable, as long as you, you follow my plan, Jesus, we're good to go, right? Daniel Aiken, theologian that I like to quote quite a bit and like his commentaries. He says, Peter here offers Jesus a messianic crown without a messianic cross. And you can't have a crown without the cross. He goes on to say, Jesus is the Christ, the Davidic son of Psalm 2, the apocalyptic son of man, of Daniel 7. He will usher in an eternal kingdom over which he will rule as king and lord However, God's way will be different from what a world that exalts power would expect. He will suffer, and be rejected, especially by the religious establishment, and be killed and rise three days later. All of this must happen. It is necessary. It is what the scriptures promised. This is why he came. This is what sin's payment demands, and we cannot provide. This is why the law of God and the love, this is where the law of God and the love of God meet. I love that. This is where judgment and grace, kiss, rob the word must of its meaning, and you empty the gospel and the cross of its glory. So Jesus rebukes Peter to clarify what is most important, right? And he does so in a, in a strong fashion. The Greek word in this is very strong language. He's demanding, he's very assertive. Get behind me, Satan, get out of my way. He literally calls Peter Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. As I read that, I just couldn't help but think of these different points of interest of Peter's story (laughs) where so many times, Peter opens his mouth when he shouldn't have, right? He's all heart. you got to love Peter. He's all heart and not a lot of brains sometimes. (laughs) He's all heart. He he, he says things and then he, he, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that, right? I thought about Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13. (laughs) And uh, it comes, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and comes to Peter and Peter says, not washing my feet, Lord. Right, he's got a good heart. You're too, you're too worthy, God. I, I'm not worthy of you to wash my feet, and no, I'm not washing my feet. What's Jesus say? If I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Peter, like, retracts his statement. Well then, well, then wash my hands and wash my head. Wash everything, God. Kind of in the same way, often Peter thinks he's doing the right thing, and he jumps in the way. You ever do that? You ever get passionate about something? I've been accused of such things. Sometimes our passion gets gets in the way of God's plan. You know why? Because you can be incredibly passionate about the wrong things. You can know it down to your core and it be wrong. Passion is good, but make sure you're passionate about what is right. Matthew's gospel adds this phrase, Peter, you're a stumbling block. You're in my way. You're in the way of the mission. This must be done. Did you not hear that, Peter? Friends, can I just encourage us to be careful about our passion, about our opinion, because often our passion and opinion can work against God's plan, and we can be so sure. Peter wants Jesus to follow his plan, what he thinks is right, fulfill his dream, and so Jesus has to set him straight. You know, I believe that the Lord is doing that in the American church in many ways. For a while we've, for a long while, we, we've, we've focused on what we want, and it's easy to get comfortable, and we get passionate about our comfort. David Platt says, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice middle-class American Jesus A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Lord, I'm busy you really want me to go to my city group? God, I've got a lot to do. I, I don't know that i got time to go to my triad. I don't know that I have time to be in your word. I don't know I have time to show up on a Sunday morning and be regular and be loyal and be faithful and to worship you with God's people. I don't know if I can do that, God. What have we made this gospel? We must be so careful that we're not just doing what we wanna do, and then say, God, would you bless it? I wanna do this, would you bless me, Lord? Jeremiah says, the heart is wicked and full of deceit to the depths no one knows. We can't often just do what we think is best, no. Can I encourage us, me included, our team, our elders, city group leaders, and every partner and visitor of South City Church, wrestle well, friends. Wrestle with people that you love. And when people are willing to call you out and wrestle with you, it's because they love you. When people call you out and say, hey, I'm just concerned, friend. I want the best for your family. I want the best for your life. I, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. It's because you are loved, not because they're trying to be holier than thou. Wrestle well, friends. Don't just follow your heart. Don't just go with what maybe you think is best. Go to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Go to his word. Understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Please be here. One of the most important texts for the church to understand and wrestle with that we will deal with next Sunday. Wrestle well with brothers and sisters who love you. Hold you accountable Call you to holiness, faithfulness, help you. Friends, who do you say Jesus is? I, uh, right now, what, what's going on in your heart when I say, Who is Jesus to you? Is it just the character in the, in the Bible? It's just a story. Is he a liar? We can't trust. Is he a lunatic that's insane? Or is he Lord? Did he accomplish every single thing he said he would do? Who is Jesus? Because this text shows us there's some wrong answers, right? The disciples said, well, some people say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah and other prophets, Jeremiah. Wrong answers. There's also the right answer where Peter says, you're the Christ. And he understands the who, but not the why. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He came to overcome our sin, to be king of our hearts, king of our lives. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and to save the lost. There's a story in John 6, verses 14 and 15, I want to show you. It just, I think it just fed some people. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed a prophet who has come into the world. Watch this. Jesus perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. What that means is Jesus could see their hearts. He could read what's on their minds. This is not just I think they're going to. No, Jesus knew their intent. They're going to force him to be king. So Jesus withdrew again back to the mountain by himself. Jesus said, nope, nope, nope. That's not what I came to do. That's not who I am. That's not the definition of Messiah that I want you to understand. People didn't get it. Even his cousin, John the Baptist, the very one who at one point pointed at Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even he had a moment of doubt. Look at this. Matthew 11, verse 2. Remember, John the Baptist is in a dank dungeon, about to lose his life. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Even John the Baptist, who grew up knowing who he was, who prepared the way, had human moments of doubt. You know when those moments come? In difficult seasons. When you face a difficult season of doubt, John the Baptist was in a dungeon. He's going, haven't I done everything, Lord, that you asked me to do? Aren't I where I'm supposed to be? Aren't I in your will? Are we sure Jesus is the is he the one? Go ask again, guys. Remember what Jesus sends back? Jesus sends the response, tell him the lame leap. (laughs) The dumb speak and the deaf hear, the blind see. What was Jesus saying? That everything written about Messiah is coming true. Have faith, brother. You're right where I want you to be. Friends, if you're walking through a difficult moment in your life, whether it be your, your physical condition your financial condition, a family issue, just some, some struggle of faith and doubt and fear. Those are the moments that the enemy wants you to change plans. He wants to shake up your faith and make you go, Is Jesus really the one? Is he doing what he said he would do? Is this really the right way? What did Jesus say? To John the Baptist said, look at what's being done. Have you done that? In those moments, do you go back in your own life and go, what has Jesus done? Let me remember. Let me remember what he's done in our marriage. Let me remember what he's done in my heart and my life. Let me remember how he, he gave me breath in my lungs and gave me something to eat this morning. Let me remember how good God is and see if he's forgotten me and see if he's not done what he said he would do. Not once, friends. The whole of Mark's gospel is about who Jesus is. Mark 1, verse, uh, in the first uh, chapter, first verse, says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At Jesus' baptism, in the same chapter, the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Same chapter, Jesus is at the synagogue and cast out a demon, and the demon says of Jesus, You are the Holy One of God. A little bit later, chapter 3, another demon that's cast out says, You are the Son of God. Two chapters later, chapter 5, the, demon, the, the uh, disciples pull up on the man who's demon-possessed in the, garden, in the uh, tombs, remember? The demons call themselves legion and yet fall down at, at the feet of Jesus as soon as his boat reaches the shore. That's his power. What do they say of Jesus? They say, Son of the Most High God. See, the book of Mark just continually goes through different aspects of who Jesus is and proof that he is the Son of God. The disciples on a rocky sea of Galilee, after the, the, the waters are calmed and the storm stops, they say, who is this man? And you know what's interesting and ironic about the Gospel of Mark is that they never really get it. Fully. Look what John says in John 20, verse 9. Speaking of himself, he says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. John saying we didn't fully get it. We didn't fully understand until we saw an empty tomb. Then it all became clear. It all made sense to us. At what point was it clear for you who Jesus is? Do you remember? Is there a point in your life that even right now in your heart you're going back and going, oh yeah? (laughs) Yeah. I'm so grateful that moment that the Lord revealed himself to me. Do you remember? Who is Jesus to you? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Who does he say that he is? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today is a day that you can know him. Today is a day that you can believe that he loves you, he's given his life for you. John three thirty six says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John three eighteen, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Who do you say Jesus is, friend? You're here today. And it's not an accident. Whether you've been here a thousand times or this is your first time, you're here today. It's not an accident. Who do you say Jesus is? Can I tell you a little bit of truth here before we close? The reality is whether you make a decision today to know Jesus as your Savior, to follow Him, or not. There will be a day where your lips will say, Jesus is Lord. There will be a day, whether by choice or by force, your knees will fall to the ground. And you will say, Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2.9 says, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it doesn't really matter if I say it or you say it. One day we will all say it, whether you want to or not. But the beautiful thing about this moment is this is a day of grace. This is a moment of grace that God has given each of us. So if you've never fallen before the feet of Jesus, and said, God, I believe. I believe what you've done for me, the price that you've paid for me. On a cross, I believe that you rose again. If you've never done that, do that today. Make that decision today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for it's, with the heart that one believes, and it's with the mouth is justified, and with the mouth that one is one confesses and is saved. Praise God that we can know his grace and his mercy, and we don't have to leave this place unsure. We don't have to leave this place fearful, frightened, but we can have the comfort, the, the joy of this Jesus who offers life. To us, or maybe this morning you're like Peter. You know who Jesus is, but you don't truly understand the gospel. You don't truly understand why. Now, I believe, you're, I believe you're Lord. I believe you're Messiah, but you're still slowly coming into this understanding. Often you think maybe what you think is more important than what God thinks. That what you say sometimes is more significant than what God has said. God forbid May we learn from Peter's mistake and not get in God's way. Not be used. Listen, when we do that, we're allowing Satan himself to use our life. We're allowing the enemy to direct our life. When we step in God's way. God, forgive us. Friends, I've done it. So how do we not do it? And I'm gonna close. We seek the Lord. We confess our sins one to another. We fall before our brothers and sisters in confession and and authenticity and say, look in my life, call me out, speak truth to me, love me. Right. Be, be, Be a friend that's willing to wound me. Kisses of an enemy are deceptive, the Bible says, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. When we have those kind of relationships, by the way, that's supposed to be the church. Not just an event or a service where you come and you listen or watch something, you can go home unaffected. No, but that your life is completely affected. Your, compl- your life is wrestling with people all through the week. Every day you're texting, maybe you're calling, you're checking in, you're, you're, you're praying together, you're reading scripture. Hebrews 10 says, find ways to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Don't make it a habit of not meeting together. And do it even more as the day is approaching. Friends, the day is approaching. May we do it even more. May we be involved in each other's lives. May we be faithful not to a service but to a people. The Lord's people. Faithful, loyal honest with one another, willing to speak truth in love. Can I just tell you, if, if you're always right, you're often wrong. If that's the, the, the mode of your life that you, you kind of think you're always right, listen, the reality is you're often wrong. We need each other. We need a church that wrestles well together that loves one another beyond surface relationships. May we be faithful. It's on us. Individually, it's on us. Just as Jesus looked at each of the disciples and said, who do you say I am? I said to you, who do you say Jesus is and what does it look like in your life? If you say Jesus is Messiah and I understand this gospel, that he must be rejected, he must suffer he must die and be raised again if you understand that gospel then you will understand we need one another and that the beauty of the church is this life together where do you stand today do you know Jesus as your savior would you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment please i just i want to ask if you have any doubt right now in this moment that you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you just say, Pastor Drew, honestly, I'm just being honest, I'm not sure. Would you just lift up your hand and say pray for me because I don't know. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna ask you to come down here. I just, I just wanna pray for you. If that's you and you'd say, I don't know. If, I'm, if I know Jesus as my Savior, I have no idea. I'm not sure. I'm unsure. Would you raise your hand? Praise God that every person in this room knows Christ as their Savior. Praise God. Everyone in here would say, Lord, I know who you are, and I know why you came. Praise the Lord. But if for some reason in your heart of hearts, you know that your life doesn't represent somebody who lives for Jesus. How you think, how you speak, the things you say, the things you, how you live, they don't represent somebody who is a child of God and you need to be forgiven if that's you this morning I just just encourage you maybe you want to just pray with somebody you might want to come to the altar you might want to come where you are literally and just pray where you are on your knees whatever the case may be can we just take a moment or two before we enter back into the life that we live in this crazy world that has all kinds of opinions of who Jesus is, can we just take a moment? Say, Lord, you're the Christ and I wanna understand why so that I can take this truth of your gospel to the world and I can live it out as somebody who knows you and loves you. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, even now, you would draw people to yourself. This world, this culture has a lot of opinions about who you are. And I think truth be told, a lot of us have different opinions about who you are. May we be the ones who believe and obey who follow you, who serve you, who know you and make you known. God, we don't want American Jesus. We don't want comfortable Jesus. We want the biblical Jesus. We wanna look like him, we wanna live like him. We wanna have his heart. God, would you help us? Help us to submit, to surrender to acknowledge that we make mistakes. We get out of place sometimes, Lord. Can I just acknowledge to you, Jesus, I'm the first one. I make so many mistakes. I respond incorrectly and inappropriately so often. I'm a sinner. I'm so grateful for your mercy and your grace, Lord, because I need it every day. And I need a people who love me enough to call me out on it and to forgive me and to walk with me. Thank you for your church. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go from here and as we come again, Lord willing, next Sunday, that you would help us to truly know what it means to be your disciples. To truly die to ourselves. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Teach us, Lord, and use us for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.